All right, so this is kind of a special edition of Let's Talk Sports with Kanoa Leahy and Jordan Helley. We're doing a St. Patrick's Day edition of the show. I am part Irish, so it is incumbent on myself to host or co-host a St. Patrick's Day version of the show, but I'm also Portuguese, which means that we are actually recording this St. Patty's Day edition of the show the day after St. Patrick's Day. But let's not worry about that stuff. We've got a couple of our buddies uh, on with us. And in fact, we are adding to the Irish credibility by welcoming Brian McInnes, uh, now of Pacific Business News, but also a guy that you can hear uh, in the pregame shows on radio on ESPN Honolulu for University of Hawaii men's basketball coverage. We also have Billy Hull, uh, who is still with the Honolulu Star Advertiser, but is working almost part-time for us now with the amount of times that we talk to him on the podcast. Guys, how are you doing? Great. St. Patrick's Day, buddy. Freaking fantastic, man. Great idea. <laughs> Happy to be here. Yeah, Honoring the heritage. Right. This is the best or worst idea we've ever had. That's right. It could end up being both. Uh, it will probably end up being uh, the latter. But th- let's, let's go with the first question here as, as sort of a pregame topic, the warm-up, as we like to do. Who among us is actually Irish? Myself, Leahy is an Irish name. I know BMAC is. I mean, the red hair is a giveaway right there. Uh, is anybody else Irish? Uh, Jordan, Billy, what are you guys? Okay, so the deal is, as far as I know, is I think I'm a quarter Irish. I'm like, I'm a quarter of four countries. I think it's Irish, English, I think Swedish and Scandinavian. I could be wrong. All I know is there are four very white countries, which is why I'm 100% white. That's all I know. And that's not too far off from me. Uh, I got some Scottish and Irish. I don't know what the exact breakdown is. Some German and some other stuff, uh, Scandinavian, you know, territory, but uh, I do feel like I'm in safe territory for the theme of this podcast. Yeah, it's a, it's an SPS 50 and above, certainly, for uh, this crew. Uh, what about you, Jordan? Sunscreen doesn't work for this crew. <laughs> <laughs> We're recording this indoors after the sun has gone down, so that's that was probably a smart move by everybody else. Yeah, I don't. I actually don't think I have any Irish that I that I know of. Some English mixed in there, mostly German on my uh, father's side. So yeah, uh, not, not to be that guy, Billy, but I don't, I don't think Scandinavia is a country. <laughs> uh, Sweden is in Scandinavia, as far as I know, along Some with such like countries that. like Denmark and, and Finland. But uh, yeah, what, it's Scandinavian. It covers it all, I think. Yeah, still pretty white, right? <laughs> it's north. All right, so here's the next question in our pregame. It's sort of a double-folded uh, deal here. What are you drinking? Because that's another thing that is obviously a necessity if we're going to do a St. Patrick's Day edition of the program. Uh, we got to include a little bit of the tradition of St. Patrick's Day, which is imbibing to a very almost unhealthy degree. So what are you guys drinking right now? We'll start with you, Jordan. Yeah, it's actually a family recipe. Um, keeping it Irish is made by a guy named John Jameson and Son. So just a, just a little Irish whiskey family recipe that uh, I like to uh, pour out every once in a while. Oh, very nice. Well done. What about you, BMAC? Oh, I'm, I'm going with uh, one of the old staples, a little Guinness Extra Stout, established 1759, according to the bottle. So, uh, you know, those roots go deep, and it's traditionally brewed. And uh, cheers. Oh, wow. Traditionally brewed is important. What about you, Billy? Well, I actually finished my uh, Jameson on St. Patrick's Day. So uh, I went with a little of the Macallan, a little classic cut. 
Um, don't know anything what it means. It's a little more expensive, so I figured, why not? Try it. And it's <laughs> fantastic. Hey, waiting for a special occasion. It doesn't get more special than being on this podcast. I got some Jameson as well. I think we're about as in the spirit as can possibly be. So with that said, let's do the formal introduction. Let's talk sports with Kanoa Leahy and Jordan Helley, our special guests, Billy Hall and Brian McInnes. This is our 61st episode of the podcast, guys. Our podcast, if our episodes were years, would almost be old enough to get the vaccine. So that's how long we've been doing this thing. Wow. Yeah, it's like it's the it's the Roger Maris episode. I, I like to think of it as a record-breaking, <laughs> monumental achievement. And if we add all time? your radio shows, like you know, on on ESPN Maui to these podcasts, I feel like me and Billy combined have been on at least half of them, right? That's right. That's right. And how many times have you guys been paid for all of those appearances? Okay, let's move on. All right, so uh, <laughs> let's get to our game time, guys. And the first topic is going to be a return for prep sports. This was kind of an interesting story that came out this week. I guess there are going to be some ILH football games, games in air quotes. Games will be unsanctioned, but St. Louis, Punahou, Kamehameha, Kapalama are all planning to play each other in late April, early May. You have Iolani, Damian also looking into possibly getting involved as well. Now, prep teams across the state are currently being allowed to practice in various forms. So the question to you, I'll point this to you first, Billy. Are sanctioned football games a good idea in your opinion? Uh, you know, I, I would go back. I went back and forth on it a little bit. But ultimately, I think it's really important for these kids and, and these seniors especially who, I mean, my goodness. You know, I remember when this first started last year that I felt so bad for the seniors last year that kind of missed out on their end-of-the-year stuff. But you're really looking at the junior class last year misses out on the end of their season, and now – they go through an entire year of really just everything being up in the air. And I can't imagine how difficult it's been for some of these kids, especially these, you know, some of the, the upper level players that maybe were thinking, Hey, if I come in and have a good senior year, I can go to college. I can earn a scholarship. I can do all this and all my family that I'm, it's been extremely difficult for them. And look, I think we're at a point where we can not say with certain hundred percent safety, but I think we can get pretty close. I think it's just important for these kids to just, Go out and have some fun, man. Go out and play some football. Go out and represent your school. Put on, you know, I don't know if they're going to have the actual jerseys or whatever, but represent your school, play against some other schools, and just give them something positive, something that they will remember, something they will enjoy to end what has to have been as difficult of an academic year as, as there's ever been. Sure. I think we tend to get lost in the weeds of, all right, how is this going to impact recruiting and college scholarships? And certainly there is a major influence that COVID has had on all of that. But at the end of the day, what we're talking about is just giving these kids a bit of an outlet, right? An outlet to release some of the anxiety that's been built up for a year. Jordan, where are you sort of on? Because you call a lot of these games, obviously, throughout the athletic seasons uh, on television and radio. Where are you on the idea of just having some form of high school competition? Yeah, just getting these kids back, right? And and the first step, obviously, was was getting them back on campus, attending some classes. And and I know a lot of the private schools, particularly on Oahu, some of the schools that you mentioned, ha have been learning in person for, for quite a time now, um, and, and figuring out you know a way to do that and and taking the proper precautions. And I think the the thing is now as we transition into extracurriculars, right? Whether it's sports, whether it is you know, drama or, or, or the band or anything like that. Um, I think what Hawaii has at least going forward is the fact that a lot of other jurisdictions across the country have, have tried it. 
to varying degrees of success. And, and there are a lot of, you know, templates to follow. There's a lot of sort of protocols that, that, that I think, you know, a lot of folks feel comfortable putting in place and then making sure is sort of upheld. And, and we've seen a little bit of that, right? We've seen uh, the ILH, whether unofficial or, or, or not, right, in, in swimming and cheerleading and uh, cross country have actual championships just, just less than a week ago. Um, you know, and it, it's been slower coming from the public schools and, and that's kind of been a mixed bag. And, and obviously when you're talking about the private independent schools, they have a little more leeway, sometimes have a little more resources to make these things happen, whether it's testing, whether it's PPE, things like that, right? It, you're, you're not talking about a statewide school district like you are with the Department of Education and the public schools there. But I, I'm with Billy, you know, if they can figure out a way to make it happen safely, I'm all for letting these kids get out there. And, you know, here on Maui, we've had youth sports going since last summer. In, in youth baseball and some of that stuff. And they've been able to make it work, right? And, and so it, there is a model. There is a way to make this happen in, in any sort of competition, uh, just the socialization factor for a lot of these kids, right? It, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be better for them as they kind of near the end of the school year and, and hopefully a, a return to something a little bit more uh, normal in the fall. BMAC, what do you think? This is probably stupid and, and maybe would never happen, but I think it's, well, great, of course, but like those OIA kids who, as you know, Jordan alluded to, maybe they're not quite as on, on the same page as having these kind of unsanctioned sporting events. Like they should have some kind of weird like waiver wire opportunity to maybe latch on to some of these other teams participating just for this spring. Like it, I, it's stupid, like I said, and there's no way it would ever happen in reality, but it would be awesome. Or a neighbor island kid who's, whose team isn't playing, if they could somehow be a part of that just for like these handful of games this spring so they too have something. I mean – that's, uh, you know, being a public school guy, that, that's the first thing that popped into my head. Billy, I feel like these kids are kind of getting hit on, on both ends, right? Uh, first off, they don't have the opportunity, especially kids that were maybe a little bit more on the fringe in terms of uh, their recruiting status as prospects. Uh, also, the fact that if they look ahead at college and some of the now eligibility exceptions that are being made, where you are going to have a more crowded senior class, thus, you know, the impact on perhaps smaller freshman classes and just overall available scholarships. It seems like this group of kids in particular, they're getting hit on both sides of this and it could very much adversely impact what their entire experience is with regard to the transition from the prep ranks to college. Yeah, that, there's no question about it. And so, you know, even looking at a much smaller um, scale, you know, I know a lot of the, the Division One teams are already set with what they're doing and everything, but there's probably junior colleges out there. There's a lot of different avenues that maybe these kids that if they just played a couple of games and, and get into a couple of these exhibitions, because you know there's still going to be people watching these things, whether it's sanctioned or not. If St. Louis and Puno or St. Louis and Kamehameha are going to play on a football field, there's going to be a lot of people watching. I mean, Hawaii has established itself as one of the great places to find some talent and even some talent that kind of off the radar and stuff. So I, I totally agree with you that – I mean, we're still in for such an unknown future, unknown of how this is going to work, unknown of, like you said, with these limited scholarships coming up and all that stuff. And that's one of the reasons why I just pointed to the importance of getting them out there to play. Because at the end of the day, I mean, look, I don't even know. I know that we're getting vaccinated and hopefully it all works out and everyone gets their vaccines and come August, we're ready to go. But who knows? I mean, if there's anything we've learned in the last year, then who knows about that? And so just to maybe have a couple of these games played just so everyone can get an idea of exactly how it's going to work. Just almost as like a trial run through to get ready for next, next season, I think is another reason why it might be good to just go through this. But 
I mean, you can say it and that you can th show a thousand different excuses. At the end of the day, this senior class of kids just had it as difficult and just it's as tough of a situation as you could possibly imagine. And so for me, if it's healthy, I, you know, it, I, I agree with Brian, not having the public school kids out there is tough. And, and, you know, that's really, I wish there's something we could do about it, but anything we can do, I think at this point to give these kids any opportunity to represent their schools and their athletic fields and play. I think that's what we got to do just to give them something, give them something good at the end of the year of what's been such a terrible year. Yeah, and, and as mentioned earlier, just kind of give them something to do. At the end of the day, that's sort of what sports and, and any extracurricular activity is supposed to represent, right? Is just give them some kind of outlet outside of the overall educational experience. But Jordan, if you were a parent of a kid who was representing a school in what could potentially be a series of unsanctioned sporting events, would you have any concern about that? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I would. I, I think, you know, you, you really, as a parent, right, it, it's so hard. And we saw a lot of parents have to make a difficult decision of, of biting the bullet, if you will, and, and figuring out a way to get their kid to the mainland, right? We saw so many kids from Hawaii transfer to the mainland. We're still seeing kids transfer to the mainland. I know of a couple of football kids here on Maui who recently moved up to the mainland because some of the West Coast states are now playing football right in the spring, whereas we saw a lot of kids transfer in the fall as well to states such as Utah, and others that were playing fall football. But, but yeah, as a parent, you know, he, there's always going to be a little bit of apprehension, right? I, I think however you look at it, and, and it's a matter of, you know, working with the folks putting it on the coaches, the schools, or whoever it is, and, and figuring out, you know, what are, what are, the, what are the protocols? Well, you know, is it, is it getting a little, a little willy-nilly, or are they, they doing a smart thing by this? So, yeah, I think you're always going to be a little apprehensive, and it, it's a matter of whether or not you feel like they're doing everything they can to make sure it's a safe event. At risk of breaking the seriousness of the discussion, I just saw Billy Hull make a face after he took a swig of what he was drinking. Ooh, <laughs> <shot. And> <laughs> <laughs> On that note, I'm getting a reload. All right, next topic, Dan Ige with the knockout. This was something that was really impressive this past weekend. Hawaii's Dan Ige lived up to his 50K nickname once again with a first-round knockout of Gavin Tucker on UFC Fight Night 187 in Las Vegas last weekend. He ended the fight in just 22 seconds, improving his mixed martial arts record to 15-3. and three. He was rewarded the 50K performance of the night bonus. Again, living up to the nickname. Uh, so I'll talk to you, Billy, because you've done a good share of covering mixed martial arts over your career. What does this do for Ige's status in the featherweight division? And how awesome is it that David Ige's son is so successful of a fighter? Um, come on now. I mean, take <laughs> that's not David Ige's son. Let's is any, does anybody actually think that? I always wonder that. I don't know. I actually wonder that too. But hey, I'll tell you something about Dan Ige. That guy is amazing. Like that guy is one of the most underrated um, – I think he is legitimately good, but I tell you what, he finds himself in a really, really tough spot. So um, he's doing really good in the UFC. He has this one fight where he struggles, right? Well, unfortunately, it comes against a guy named Calvin Qatar, who is ranked a little bit up of him, but because of the way the division shaped out, he all of a sudden gets a title shot against, or a fight against Max Holloway, who's coming off, you know, those two title fights against Alexander Volkanovsky, and just gets pieced to shreds. I mean... <laughs> I actually went to that fight after watching Calvin beat Dan. I said, man, I think this guy, he could give Max some problems. And clearly I, you know, I probably shouldn't be covering MMA, you know, at all after that, after that thought. But, um, 
So now he's in this weird spot where he comes back, he gets this big knockout in 22 seconds, but the guy right above him is Calvin Qatar. And so how are you going to get past, you know, your loss to him? So I think he's in a situation where, you know, always when you get into that top 10, especially when you're in that lower level top 10, you want to fight the number five guy or the number four guy. That's your chance to kind of get that fight to really move up to ultimately say, hey, I'm close to getting a title shot. Well, I'm not sure that fight really exists for him. I, you know, Jeremy Stevens is out there. He's kind of a fringe top 10 guy. But I think because he just lost to the guy right above him, basically, or one or two spots above him, you know, he might be looking at maybe having to fight fight someone below him a little bit and maybe take a little bit of time before everything above him kind of you know, squares itself out. You've got Ortega getting uh, Alexander Volkanovsky. You've got um, uh, a couple other guys, the Russian guy, and, and, and guys that are about to fight. And so these fights are all going to happen. So I'm kind of curious where he goes, but I think, you know, as, as big of a win as that was for him, I still think it's a little bit of time before he's really going to try to be able to, to crack his way into that maybe top six, top five, top four level and start to really believe that he could eventually get close to maybe ultimately getting a title shot. Yeah, I think what his, or I guess continues to evolve with regard to Dan Ige, though, is he's must-see TV, right? And that's sort of step number one, is if you can be the entertaining fighter, you know, the, the contendership and rankings, that'll figure itself out. But if people want to watch you fight, which I think is most definitely now the case with Dan Ige, that changes you a little bit as a fighter, right? As an entity within the UFC. Well, just look at Max Holloway. I mean, Max Holloway's got to be the first guy in UFC history who his next fight is going to be for the belt again. And I'm sure there's never been a guy to lose two title fights <laughs> one fight after that. And suddenly he's going to get a, a, a third title shot in his last four fights, but it's Max Holloway. And everyone who tuned in to watch Max Holloway fight Calvin Cater said to themselves, Oh my goodness, I've got to see that guy fight for the title again. Even if it's Volkanovsky, even if it's a guy who, Hey, you can talk about how close those fights were and who actually won. Reality is the guy has two in, in the books. He's got two wins over Max Holloway, and yet Max Holloway could literally be fighting him again a third time in the span of, you know, four fights, which is unheard of. But, you know, when you play the game like Max Holloway, when you've got the attitude of Max Holloway, when you have the style of him, and when you have the fandom of him based on your fights, that's what happens. And I think Dan is in a similar spot, man. The guy is super fun to watch. I don't even remember the last boring fight. And when you knock out a guy in 22 seconds, people notice all right, Jordan, be honest. When you first caught wind of Dan Ige as a mixed martial artist, did you question whether or not there was a relation to the governor? They got to be related, right? <laughs> as, a, as, a, as a guy of fellow, we, we were talking about heritage earlier. As a guy, a fellow Okinawan of Okinawan <laughs> heritage with the governor and, and, and Dan 50K Ige, who's, they got to they gotta have some relation, right? Okinawa is not a big place, man. It is not. Um, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Billy. I, I think what his excitement, right? I think he, they asked him like, who does he want next after the fight and on the ESPN plus broadcast. And I think he brought up the Korean zombie, right? Chan Sung Jung, who's like the, the number five ranked there. I mean, there, there's some guy, right? Yeah. Rodriguez is another one that maybe be interesting because I, to me, he's a pretty exciting fighter. Um, you know, him better than I do. But my, my question was because it's so jumbled right in that division, like is, is he too big for 135? Like, is that out of the cards? Like, is he a guy that's just – his frame is too big? Like, is, is, is a different weight class maybe a better path for him? I don't know. I, you, you know way more about this than I do. I mean, that's interesting. I mean, I think he could probably make it, but I think he's pretty comfortable. Look, I, I think he's pretty comfortable mm -hmm. where he's at, especially if he had any doubts after the Qatar fight. You know, I mean, he just kind of erased that with his, with his knockout. So, 
I mean, could that be something down the line? You know, we're starting to see it a lot more, especially guys later in their career that either have got to the top and can't get back but still want to fight for a title they try to drop. Um, but I don't think Dan's anywhere near that yet. I think even with the loss to, to Calvin, um, I think it's kind of, you know, he's, he's, he's still got a big future ahead of him. And I, I think he's you're going to see him in this division for a while. And you're right, you know, maybe a Yair Rodriguez fight would make sense. One thing that's going to be tough, though, is, you know, Calvin Qatar is going to also be looking for a fight. I mean, he – he got pieced up by Max Holloway, but seriously, at the end of the day, he was in Max Holloway. I don't really know. Like, I mean, that doesn't really say much about just how far you should drop in the rankings. So mm -hmm. my point was kind of more how, how do you let Dan get that fight maybe um, over, over Qatar? But like you guys said, he's so exciting and he's such a good dude. And, and they also, you know, look, the UFC, it's not always about your record and who you beat and all that stuff. It's also about the kind of person you are. And Dan Ige, I know is a favorite of the organization. So yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, how that middle tier of that division plays out, I think, coming up in the next six months is going to be really interesting. All right. So that kind of introduces an offshoot here. Before we move to the next official topic, uh, because Billy was talking about how maybe he got it wrong a little bit on that last Max Holloway fight as far as the kind of fight it would be. Uh, we've all worked in sports. Give me a time when you got it publicly the most wrong. All right, we'll start with you, BMAC. When would be a time that you can think of where you feel like, all right, I wish I had that one back? Because this one, if, yeah. if people were to document this, this would, this would hurt me. No, I, I, something shot straight to my mind. I know exactly what it is. And that was, um, shoot, right, right as UH basketball was going through all the NCAA sanctions, uh, turmoil, drama, whatever you want to call it, and Gib Arnold was fired. Um, I, you know, I, I reported on that. I, I was thankfully right on about that. My facts were straight. Um, but it was my personal feeling and just what I observed in the immediate aftermath with all that chaos that that team under Benji Taylor, the, you know, former associate head coach turned interim head coach was just gonna, it was gonna fall apart. It was gonna, you know, guys were gonna split up in a number of different directions. Like there was a a guy who never actually played Samus Reyes, who did, he booked it out of there during all that turmoil. And I thought there was going to be way more of that. And then it stopped. And Benji was able to pull all those guys together. Shoot. I mean, they, they were only like a middling fifth seed in the big West, but then they go on this run all the way to the big West championship game, come within a handful of minutes of topping UC Irvine and Benji Taylor, probably getting a multi-year extension as head coach. If he had somehow pulled that off, he didn't quite, but um, shoot, I was way wrong about how that team would fare. I mean, they did win over 20 games, so uh, knocked off some Power Five teams in the in the non-conference year too. I was I was dead wrong about those guys. All right, okay, uh, let's move over to you, Billy. When uh, was the time that you publicly were uh, were wrong? You wish you had it back. I mean, how long do we have? I mean, I mean, how big is your bottle of McCallum? Yeah. Yeah, well, it's not. It's almost gone, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, I mean, clearly it's got to be at, when the Oklahoma City lost to the Miami Heat in the NBA Finals. I said Oklahoma City is going to win six more NBA championships, and they haven't been to the finals since. So, I mean, I'd start there. I think I said Tom Brady would win, never win another Super Bowl after he beat the Seahawks because of his defense. I think there's that one. Um, okay, Max Kellerman. Yeah, we could go. No, really, seriously. Um, no, but the Oklahoma City one is the one that stings. And granted – I get a little bit of a pass here because I didn't expect them to trade James Harden, which is <laughs> at the end of the day, the single worst transaction, the most gut punching transaction I remember in my life was the day I found out they traded James Harden. But 
yeah, I thought Oklahoma City was going to be the the Golden State or the yeah the Golden State, I guess, of the NBA, and they never even made it back to another NBA Finals. Yeah, no. Instead, they sort of turned into the Brooklyn Nets, so that's kind of a weird thing. All right, uh, Jordan, <laughs> when was the time that you got it wrong publicly? Uh, we can go back to this most recent Super Bowl. Uh, <laughs> I was definitely on the <laughs> on the side of Patrick Mahomes was infallible, uh, and that that kind of went up in flames pretty quickly. Um, and I will say it wasn't necessarily Patty Mahomes' fault. But uh, to go a little bit further back, I, I do remember having a pretty optimistic take on the Norm Chow era when he got hired. It didn't go so well. It, it didn't really pan out as the yeah. head football coach He's there really at the University of Hawaii. Explosive offense under Norm Chow, that big yeah, area. I, th- I, I, thought they'd, I thought they'd be okay. He wasn't my first choice. I actually wanted Mark Banker to get the job, the Oregon State defensive coordinator who actually was on the Rolovich staff here for a bit. Um, but I was optimistic. I thought, you know, Norm could come back, kindle a little bit of magic, but uh, yeah, that, that, that went bad. Yeah. Bad. I remember, so, I remember that, that first uh, Norm press conference where he was like, we're going to chase championships. And as it turned out, it was like, we're going to be chased out of this job because we're going to underperform. That was, that was unfortunate, but I was yeah. with you. I had very, very high hopes for Norm. Child. I think my worst was I actually said this, on the radio, maybe even on television a couple of times. I was one of those. This might be the worst one of them all, guys. I thought Ryan Leaf was the guy to go for <laughs> over Peyton Manning. So, uh, so there you go. I don't think it gets any worse than that. Just to change topics because I don't want to dwell on this. Uh, who needs a refill? Yeah. Let's give out <laughs> NCAA tournament picks to everyone. Look how good we are. <laughs> yeah. All right, moving on. NFL free agency. This has been kind of wild. There have been a few twists and turns, to say the least. Uh, Obviously affecting a St. Louis alum, Hawaii guy, Marcus Mariota, backup quarterback with the Las Vegas Raiders, has been reportedly asked to take a pay cut. Uh, And so if he refuses that, he's going to become likely an unrestricted free agent. You have Russell Wilson in Seattle, and I still do not for the life of me understand what is going on with Russell Wilson and why the Seahawks in any way are – possibly considering parting ways with him. I know you feel strongly about that, Billy. Uh, not! <laughs> All right, and then let's also talk about uh, Jordan's Chicago Bears. Uh, great move here. They bought Andy Dalton for $10 million. Uh, he also has reportedly said that the Bears told him the starting job is his. All right, so let's start with you, Jordan. I don't know which one of those or any other possible free agent or NFL topics you want to hit up on. What are your thoughts there? Where do you want to get going? Yeah, there's a whole lot, right? And these kind of tie into each other. The Marcus Mariota thing, that we all knew coming into the offseason that they were going to need to restructure his deal or they were going to have to trade him or cut him loose, right? That, that was in the cards. There was no sort of status quo that was going to exist. A week ago... I would have been all on board with Marcus saying, I'm out of here, right? Forget it. Cut me. I'll go find a job someplace else and a possible starting job. Except all these jobs seemingly have filled up. Ryan Fitzpatrick signs in Washington. Cam Newton re-signs in New England. My Bears, my Bears have, have signed Andy Dalton and apparently promised him that he is going to be the starter. And when I saw the Schefter tweet and it said the Bears have their quarterback, and I was like, oh, boy. Here we go. Here we go. I have a lot of Seahawks fans in my life. A lot of them, including one Billy Hall. I know a lot of them. And I was, I was just real quiet, real quiet as the whole Russell, 
do I like you? Do I really like you? Are we going to break up? What's the deal here? And I was just for the life of me hoping and praying that somehow the Bears were going to swing a trade. And apparently they offered him, offered the Seahawks, I should say, like the entire team for him. Three first-round draft picks, a second-round draft pick, Akeem Hicks, Khalil Mack, like all-time guys on the defensive line that the Seahawks could have rebuilt that defense in the snap of a finger. And the Seahawks were like, nah, we're good. There was no quarterback in the deal because the Bears have no quarterbacks to offer outside of Nick Foles. And so to circle back to Marcus, like where is he going to go now? If he does indeed not restructure his contract, ask to be cut or ask to be released, basically, I don't know. Like San Francisco, maybe the, it seems like the like Washington, maybe Carolina out there. But a lot of these teams seem to maybe be maybe angling for for a draft pick of a quarterback. So I, I, I it's kind of dried up the Marcus Mario to market that is. Uh, but boy, I would love to see him in Chicago. But I don't, I don't know if it really makes sense for him now. Maybe it makes sense to restructure and stay in Oakland and you know, or excuse me, Las Vegas. And, and maybe see if you can, you know, win a job if, if Derek Carr struggles or something. That's a pretty big pay cut to deal with. Though almost on yeah. principle alone, you want to sort of fight against that. But at the same time, you're right. I don't know how many potential starting jobs. I think we kind of went into this offseason thinking Marcus is going to get a chance to start somewhere else and restart and possibly reignite his career I'm not sure if that's going to be the case. So I agree with you. It now becomes a much more tenuous decision for Marcus Mariota. But, uh, hey, congratulations on Andy Dalton, uh, one of the few human beings on earth whose hair is redder than Brian McInnes. This is actually the first time in this whole offseason where I, as a Detroit Lions fan, felt good about Jared Goff as my quarterback by comparison. Anyway, Billy, talk about Russell Wilson, man. What's going on? Well, before I get to Russell Wilson – could Marcus Mariota go to Detroit? Because you guys are going to need a quarterback about week four. When you're, <laughs> you're probably right. You're probably uh, right. The other one about Mariota is, and I'm just doing this because I know where I live. Could he go to Miami? <laughs> Could he be his mentor right there? Oh, man. No, I'm kidding. But they just brought in Brissette, right? The, the Dolphins? So they, they sort of oh, – right, right. oh, So right. it's kind of like I, all these spots I, – I thought of the Dolphins too. And it's like all these spots sort of seem to be – the chairs seem to be taken that, that Marcus could have eventually landed in. That's a good point. And, Jordan, I just want to say that I, I really feel bad for you because one of the good things about this Russell Wilson thing is I thought it was so cute how these Bears fans they just got a little, a little taste of, like, maybe we could get someone like Russell Wilson. And, I mean, come on. And you see him get a little excited. Oh, here we go. Maybe we'll get him. And then, boom, Andy Dalton. Which, yeah. let's be honest, hey. if you were watching Nick Foles and Mitchell Trubisky be your quarterback, Andy Dalton might look pretty good. So that's not, that's not totally It's fair. That's why I didn't say anything, because I knew it wasn't going to actually happen. And it, I'm with you. He, he, just like, just like he's stuff. an upgrade. He's an upgrade. Uh, let's move to BMAC. Uh, Brian, you're related to Andy Dalton. What are your thoughts? Well, I'm just going to say first, Jordan, you know, we, we were more than happy in Bill's Mafia to take Mitchell Trubisky off your hands. That's and, right. Uh, that's right. You know, add him as our as our backup, but he's hey, like Red a, Rifle he's baby. Like Josh Allen light, right? He's mobile. Yeah. He's got a big arm. He sure. can't throw to his left, but you know that's all right. No, between uh, Trubisky and Emmanuel Sanders, man, I was I was uh, stoked as a longtime Bills fan, as Cano knows. <laughs> I, I feel good about that selection in the, for the long haul for a uh, <laughs> franchise that is uh, on its way upward, upwardly mobile. But uh, no, man. Um, hey, Red Rifle, you. you He's a veteran. You know, what, what can you say? My cousin. What can you say? 
All right, it's time for the Domino's Hawaii main topping of the show. And of course, it's got to be March Madness, right? We had Selection Sunday just this past weekend. The NCAA tournament at the time of this recording is actually just underway with the first four games. And so we're diving right into it. So we're talking March Madness here. It's conference tournament time, though, that we want to start with. And that's because the University of Hawaii men's basketball team went one and done. Unfortunately, again, the Rainbows lost to UC Riverside in the Big West Tournament quarterfinals. So since then, already Justin Webster, James Jean Marie, and Cameron Ng have all entered the transfer portal. I want to talk to you initially about this, Brian, because obviously you spent a lot of years covering University of Hawaii basketball. Uh, you have your podcast, Court Sense, which is a fantastic listen. Is all of this a reason for concern overall for Hawaii basketball? Absolutely. I don't, I don't think there's any way around that. I mean, that they've been in this twilight zone of 500 and one and done for five years now. Uh, yes, they did not get a chance to compete in the Big West tournament last year, but that was a 500 season. Um, since that magical NCAA tournament year of 2015-16, in which Aron Gannat came in as a first-year head coach, did a fantastic job taking over you know, a bunch of very um, disparate personalities and, and kind of you know, having a firm hand at the wheel and, and really allowing those guys to capitalize on their abilities, leading to a Big West championship, an NCAA tournament, uh, win the first in program history over Cal, uh, shoot. I mean, you know, he was rightly the big West, uh, coach of the year that year. And sure. They had a, a little bit of a, you know, a tough hand dealt to them as far as NCAA sanctions for the ensuing year, they didn't get the word that they could go to the, the tournament for postseason qualification until the 11th hour. So that, that was not an easy situation by any means. And yet that kickstarted a five-year run to this point in which they've been, basically 500. They've been 42 and 40 in the Big West regular season and are 0 and 4 in the Big West quarterfinals. That in a league, a one-bid league like the Big West, just will not keep, I think, people satisfied with with that kind of job performance. And um, I think the, re the recruiting aspect has been the biggest shortcoming in, in over that span. I believe they've had two first-team Big West players Noah Allen, that aforementioned uh, year right following the tournament year, because of his status as a graduate transfer, they knew they were only getting him as a kind of a rental, but he, he was a Big West all-performer, all uh, rightly so. Probably the, the most talented guy that Aranganat has brought in to date. And uh, Eddie Stansbury, a very talented guy at a junior college a couple of years ago, made first team in his senior year. Um, and I would have liked to see what he could have done in the tournament, uh, Big West tournament uh, a season ago, and that unfortunately did not happen. So... Um, other than that, it's been very kind of slim pickings, you know, as far as guys that you could really build a team around. Drew Bugs, probably being the most notable example, decided to forsake his senior year in Manoa uh, and his captaincy to go off, uh, you know, chasing something bigger at Missouri. And, and to his credit, you know, he's on a tournament team right now. But um, him going, Justin Webster going as another team captain in back-to-back -back years, man, it, it's just, it is concerning uh, going back to your original question. And um you know, until they get somebody in there who can really help Iran recruit, I think, at a high level, it's going to be that kind of situation um, until something drastic changes. Yeah, I, I think the, the questions that we have to sort of address initially are, you know, how much do you put onto the coaching staff or the head coach, his or herself, 
with regard to players that decide to leave the program, right? You have opt-outs amid the COVID season. You know, that's a bit of a wild card for sure. But players that decide legitimately and directly to transfer out, is that something that you can hold a head coach of a program to account for? Obviously, in this day and age where the transferring is going to be so free, right? It's going to be so free wheeling and dealing the the player retainment within a program of any given sport is now a part of the coaching responsibility list, right? I mean, just, it really is. So how much can you hold then, uh, Brian, I'll just ask you again, if you don't mind, uh, yeah. a guy like Aranganat accountable for something like that. And then also, do you consider giving him a pass in this specific year because of a COVID season that it was with regard to the overall result of this season? First part of that, you know, it. I will say it is absolutely true that it's a runaway trend in college hoops. You know, the NCAA transfer portal, the convenience aspect of it has made it easier than ever for these guys to just, they put their name out there kind of like a free market and see, you know, what comes back, what kind of interest there is and um, shoot. The number climbs every year we've seen it. It's like empirical evidence. It's just a runaway trend. That said, um, the frequency and the, I would say the, um, you know, the caliber of guys they're losing. It's not just any guys. Like I said, it's, it's been their team leaders, like guys who should be invested in success out here. Justin Webster, up and coming, young, talented player, maybe had all Big West in his future the next couple of years if he kept developing like he had been. He was an honorable mention this year. Sophomore co-captain. Uh, first guy out the door, like almost immediately when, you know, after the season ended this year, Drew Bugs, a guy, all-time assist leader on the program, should be, you know, the the model guy for for lasting in a, in a four or five-year career as a guy coming here straight out of high school. Yes, it's tough to recruit and retain high school players, but he looked like he was, you know, invested, said all the right things. Um, he, of course, he had some, you know, extenuating circumstances with the tragic death of his mother while he was out here, but um, that's, it, it's still just a, an unfortunate pattern of not being able to keep the most meaningful guys that you, you brought into your program. You've, you know, you've done the, the legwork, the groundwork of trying to build a bond with these guys, have them invested in, in what you're all about. And for them to just kind of, you know, cast it loose like that, you know, just decide to cut bait. It is, it's a head turner, man. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a head scratcher. It's, um, I, I think there are some definite warning signs there that these guys haven't, with with some notable exceptions, guys like Jack Purchase, you know, Zigmar's Rimo, uh, the aforementioned Eddie Stansbury, they, they have stuck it out. But there haven't been enough instances of that, and it's just been um, unfortunate for, for Ron and his staff that they haven't been able to build um, some semblance of consistency so far. You know, this affects not just basketball, but other sports. So, Billy, do you have sort of a general opinion on how much a coaching regime can be held accountable for the added responsibility of trying to keep players in the program and trying to prevent them from transferring away? Yeah, well, this is a great topic, and I don't, I'm not going to have it from the same sense in terms of, of, of necessarily UH basketball. I mean, I've watched more – I've listened to Brian McInnes on the pregame more than I've actually watched Kanoa Leahy basketball broadcast. No, but I, I, I would, I would um, turn it to college football a little bit, and we're just seeing it in college football now, where basically if, if you don't play these kids right away, 
whether it's – I mean, it was quarterbacks kind of at first. Now it's like almost every position where, um, man, if these kids don't get exactly what they want right away. They're out of there, even though it's kind of designed in college football over four years that you come in and you might not play right away, but those guys in front of you are going to move on and you've got two years to make a name for yourself. And I might even turn moderator on this. Are we sure – that this whole uh, transfer portal thing is just not this really bad cocktail of the combination of, you know, growing up and we're giving out participation trophies and everyone thinks that they're the man. And then they get in these situations where they finally go off to college and they're in these situations where their whole lives they've been told how great they are and how special they are. And then you go to college and look, only 11 guys on each side that can start playing football, only five guys that can start in basketball. And look, part of going to college and, and for me, you know, I didn't play sports, but going to college was you're on your own and you go through these speed bumps. You go, you have these, you know, things in your life where you learn and you grow and you go through hardships in order to get better. And it just seems like, are we sure not that we're not just giving these athletes an outlet of, Hey, when things get tough, jump in the transfer portal, because it, I'm starting to wonder if this whole thing isn't good for these kids. I know there's reasons for it. Trust me. There's certain situations where it's different than that, but are we sure this whole transfer portal in this new age of if you don't like what you want here, we're going to make it easy for you to go somewhere else? Are we sure this is a good thing? Well, I think we're, we're seeing this, this move, this intention to try to like scale things back, right? Because there's such an inequity when it comes to college sports, where you have these coaches and administrators who have the freedom to move wherever they want to and make massive amounts of money. And yet the student athletes have been held within these certain constructs, right? And these certain limitations where they haven't had the same level of freedom. And so I think we're seeing the NCAA, we're, we're, we're seeing the college mechanism adjusting to that. I agree with you. I don't think it's necessarily great for the sport, but I think it's required when you hold it up against the and adjacent to the freedom that other people that are on the periphery of the college sporting industry have. Uh, and so I think that's the conundrum, right? And that's a whole different a ball of wax. I mean, that is a topic we can we can delve into uh, in a whole different way, and probably can fill an entire episode. But you know, I, I think that's the problem here: is is how do you afford a certain level of autonomy for the student athletes amid this mechanism that affords so much freedom and autonomy for those who are in coaching and administrative positions? Uh, it isn't necessarily ideal, certainly for trying to keep continuity within a singular program, uh, I think that's what now we're coming to grips with. And uh, Jordan, I, I think we touched on it a little bit last week on the podcast episode. Is it unfair in your opinion to expect or for fans to expect more from a program like Hawaii in a conference like the Big West when it comes to basketball? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think so because you, you look at the pedigree of Hawaii, right? And and quite honestly, when you look at this conference, the Big West Conference, in basketball in particular, you know, baseball is a different story, right? But in basketball, they've got the best sort of history and pedigree Everything. of any basketball program in the Big West from what they did in the WAC, the different iterations of the WAC. And you, you think to what they were doing, you know, in sort of the new new whack, right, of the 2000s, if you will. That was a multi-bid league even with New Mexico State and Nevada and Utah State and that iteration. Then you go back to the 90s, right, which was sort of the glory years. I mean, you're talking about Utah going to the NCAA championship game, Fresno State, and, and all of those programs within that conference when it was the 16-team mega league. And so 
for, for that team to now exist in the Big West, and this isn't the UNLV Big West of, of the early 90s. This is the, you know, the, the current iteration of the Big West. And I, you know, and I think UCSB is a really good team. I think Santa Barbara is a really good team this year, and I actually got them winning a game, by the way, um, come this weekend in, in the first round as a, as a 12 seed, which I think was actually a pretty fair seed, pretty high for a Big West Conference champ. Um, but it, it's a league that, look, it's a one-bid league at the end of the day, right? There, if this becomes a two-big league, that would be a massive shock to a lot of people. And so for a program in the University of Hawaii for, from that stock, right, from coming from that stock um, to drop down in a caliber of a league, right? In baseball, it was a step way up to get into the Big West, obviously a much different story. But in basketball, a program that was routinely amongst the upper echelon of the WAC, you know, in, in a league that got multiple bids for a program that went to NCAA tournaments, that went to NITs, that was playing in postseason tournaments quite regularly, to finish at 500 in the Big West. And that goes into the conversation, right, of, what, hey, the, the COVID year, how much do you hold that against? But it, it really was status quo. And so it's not just this year you're talking about when you're evaluating the University of Hawaii basketball program under Ron Gannat. It, it's the totality of everything, right? It's the six years in total including that very first year where they went to the tournament, but the, the five subsequent years where it's, it's kind of been the same story over and over again. And, and you talk about losing transfers and that's, that's the nature of the beast, right? It really is, especially, Hey, look, your best player in drew bug goes to Missouri who who's now in the NCAA tournament like that. You get that, right? You get that, but you have to be able to replenish. You have to be able to replace. If you lose those kind of guys, you got to be able to bring in new recruits to fill that role of drew bugs. And that I think, is still an open-ended question as to whether or not they are able to do that. When they lose these guys, are they able to bring in equal, if not better talent to replace those guys? Because that's the reality at every single school across the country, no matter what level. Absolutely. Great points, Jordan. You know, there is really no excuse for Hawaii, in my opinion, not being in the top third of the league year in and year out. And it's not just the Aranganat era, I would add, because when Hawaii joined the Big West under Gib mm -hmm. Arnold, Hawaii was a 500 team in those first couple of years in the Big West with, with some of the best talent in the league. Guys like uh, Fotu and you know Vander Joachim had had just come out of the program. Christian Stan Hardinger, you know they had Fotu and Stan Hardinger on the first team in the same year and were the five seed. You know that year they just underachieved in terms of wins and losses. So uh, Hawaii has you know its own national TV tournament every year, the Diamond Head Classic. It has the ability to to not play any guarantee road games if it wishes in any given season. 20-plus home games a year. No other Big West team has that kind of advantage. Yes, there is an ocean in between Hawaii and anyone it's trying to recruit to bring here, with the exception of the rare local recruit player. But in my opinion, it's just unfathomable that they've had one top three finish, which was our Big West regular season co-championship in that 2016 year, but one top three finish the decade that they've been in the conference to this point. I just can't imagine that they can't leverage something better based on their budget. You know, some of the, just Hawaii as a location, it's facility, the Stan Sheriff center, plus it's now practice facilities, which are just gleaming by the way, gym one and gym two outstanding. So I, I just can't buy the argument that, uh, you know, it's, it's so tough to recruit guys here and keep guys here based on, what Hawaii has going for it as compared to its quote-unquote peer institutions in the Big West. 
All right, it's time for the post-game best and worst, brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii, Maui's premier full-service refuse company, offering various sizes of dumpsters and roll-off containers for commercial, construction, and residential use. Family-owned and operated with over 40 years of service to the Maui community, Waste Pro Hawaii is committed to customer service and responsible waste management. Visit wasteprohawaii.com for services information. All right, we got a lot of bests and a lot of worsts. Let's start with you, Jordan Helley. What is your best? All right. I'm excited to lead this off. Uh, Boban <laughs> Marjanovic of John Wick fame, and he also plays basketball for the Dallas Mavericks. I don't know if you guys saw this, but he was playing like pregame. They were playing the Suns, I believe it was, and he engaged in a game of, as we call it, at least here on Maui, I got to be honest, I don't know what they call it on the other islands, um, gotcha, a.k.a. knockout. Right, you guys, you guys are familiar with knockout, yeah, right? Yeah. On the mainland, right? Everybody shoots either a free throw, a three-point shot. A guy follows. If the guy behind you makes it, you're out. You're knocked out. You got to keep making and surviving. And he was playing with the ball boys. So 7-18 or whatever Boban is, is playing with the Suns ball boys like before the game, which I'm sure violates all kinds of NBA COVID protocols because it's the <laughs> other team's ball boys. And maybe because they were on the road, those ball boys were actually assigned to the Mavericks. I don't know. But it was great. I saw this on Twitter. He's playing knockout with the ball boys, and those kids looked like they were having a great time. Uh, so kudos to Boban, who is exactly what I would imagine the most fun-loving person in the world looking like. Yeah, you know, I love me some Boban. I think that story really kind of resonates with me because like Boban, I have huge ears. And also, I was a ball boy for University of Hawaii basketball back in the day. So uh, I got love for anybody that has love for the ball boys. Uh, all right, what is uh, your best, Billy Hall? Yeah, well, um, I was a ball boy for two games, and Tony Maroney didn't give me an autograph. So that's my memory of being a ball boy. Wait, but, and uh, you quit after that? Wait, I was super upset. Um, all right, let's transition to – I'm going to try to hit the right note with this after this debacle of a podcast. But um, I uh, was lucky enough to get my vaccine today, and I went down to uh, Pier 2. And I want to give a shout-out to everybody working at Pier 2 because I didn't really know what I was going to get into. And there was so many people there – it was so unbelievably efficient. You get down there and there's every 20 feet, there's someone telling you where to go. Tons of workers, tons of people doing this whole vaccine thing, uh, trying to make it work as efficiently as possible. It was as pleasant as something like that could possibly be. It was so well run. Everyone was so great. And I'm sure they've seen just people over and over, thousands of people coming in every day and they all, they've all talked to you. How are you doing? They were so welcoming. So I just want to give a shout out to everyone working at Pier 2 today because it was such a pleasant experience. I was fortunate enough to get my first vaccine and they were unbelievable. And I walked out of there just feeling a sense of aloha and just really feeling great about it. So everyone working down there, kudos to you guys. It was great. Well, first off, that actually makes me feel really just happy, I guess, knowing that it's that well run because I'm actually going in a few days. So oh. thank you, Billy. Then let's do it. But uh no, all right. Well, this this might be a little cheesy, but I'm going to say my best today was by far and really the whole week being on this call with you guys because I have been a shut-in uh, working remotely at home in Kailua Monday through Friday, fairly early hours, sometimes kind of stretching into the evening doing Pacific business news, business stories. And today was my first heart rail uh, board board meeting coverage <laughs> experience following Olelo for five solid hours. So that has, is a candidate of the worst in its own right. Just didn't know what I was getting into. It's so much new information to piece through. Finishing that off, having some drinks with you guys at the end of that 
near the end of this week after a St. Patty's Day. Uh, couldn't have asked for much better than that. Oh, that's pretty awesome, man. Yeah, so board meeting spelled B-O-R-E-D, right? Because uh, that's what it sounds like. <laughs> My best, if I may, uh, Dan Lebetard's March Sadness Looks Like Tournament. I know you're into this, Billy Hole. Uh, Dan Lebetard, who had his show with Stu Gatz, uh, on ESPN radio for many years, but they just broke off from ESPN. So they're basically going out on their own, but they've continued this tradition during March Madness. They call it the March Sadness Tournament. And what they do is they have this game. It's a looks like game and their listening and viewership community. They send in these looks like descriptions that are just like as well-written as anything that any great, American novelist or writer has ever put together is just fantastic. Uh, things like Kelly Olynyk looks like the guy you meet on the third day of a music festival, or this is one that uh, strikes close to home because he used to be the Lions head coach. Matt Patricia looks like a guy in a competitive eating challenge who hits the wall, wipes the sweat from his brow, turns his cap backwards, waves his arms to pump up the crowd, watching before taking an aggressive bite out of a quadruple bypass bacon cheeseburger. Like, how good is that? And what they do is they attach one of those to every team in the tournament, and they just sort of follow along as the uh, tournament plays out. Kudos to Levitard and the gang. They, they, just, they just hit the right chord, man. It's, uh, it's just the right balance. It's probably not good business on my part to be talking about another podcast uh, while we're doing our podcast. But that said, uh, they're just great. So I'm always down to give uh, big props uh, to guys who do it right, man. Jeff Van Gundy looks like the queen of hearts, right? Isn't that one of them? <laughs> that is one of them. <laughs> That's so good. That's so good. It, I feel like Rick Patino brings a lot of possibilities to this now that he's back in college basketball. Sure. And he's coaching at Iona. And the, the, the dress code has been very much relaxed during COVID, right? So he's still got the slacks. He's got, like, the shirt and tie, <laughs> but he's got, like, a sweater over it. Not really a, a jacket, like a, a suit jacket. He, he looks like the guy – he looks like the attorney that the mob boss sends to his second cousin's son's court date. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, don't worry, Uncle Uncle Vito's sending an attorney. It's a guy he knows from way back in the, you know, when they grew up in the neighborhood. It's like, oh, who is it? Oh, it's Rick Patino. Yeah, we're screwed. Dude, Jordan is freestyling this. I love that. That's pretty fantastic. Rick Patino's at Iona. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, oh yes, he is. The, oh, why do you think God. they're in the tournament, Billy? Why oh. not? Ron Howard was at Michigan like four days ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rick Pitino at Iona is in the tournament, and John Calipari at Kentucky is not. What kind of world are we living in? You stick at home this year. Wow. <laughs> all right, let's go to our worst now. We've done all the best. Uh, Jordan, get us going. Yeah, so my worst. This is going to take a little bit of background, so feel free to edit this as you, free, as you please. <laughs> so the, Ura the UEFA Cup, which is sort of – so European soccer. European soccer in – a lot of ways is like NCAA basketball. There are, there are teams at the upper echelon. There are power conference teams. You know, they play in the big five leagues. They play in England. They play in Italy. They play in Germany. And then there are their mid-majors, right, who play in countries like Croatia or Denmark or some of these other countries that don't have quite as much money to spend on their soccer clubs and teams and things of that nature. And there is also an immense amount of corruption and absolute, you know, tomfoolery when it comes to money, 
when it comes to running teams and all kinds of that. We also just talked about Rick Pitino. So it, it, it goes hand in hand. <laughs> Parallels all and, over the place with college and So the UEFA Cup, which is sort of the B tournament. So if you think of the Champions League, everybody's heard of the Champions League, right? The big clubs playing that. Bayern Munich is the reigning champion. That's the NCAA tournament. The UEFA Cup, the, the secondary competition, it's the NIT. It's what it is. So, so the top teams qualify for the Champions League. The sort of second tier, they qualify for the UEFA Cup. So the round of 16 second leg, so they play home and homes, aggregate score. You add up the score of the first matchup, and then you go to the other team's place, and you add up the score of that when you get the aggregate score. So Tottenham from England. They're, they're from a power conference. Think of them. They're from a power conference. Tottenham, they're coached by Jose Mourinho, who's like, you know, one of these big time coaches who's now he's won the champions league at real madrid he's won the champions league in portugal he's now coaching at tottenham they've got all kinds of five-star recruits so they're playing dinamo zagreb from zagreb croatia earlier today and they've got a two nothing lead they want two to nothing in north london now they're going to zagreb croatia and they're a two nothing lead there and that's not all so they've got the two nothing lead you see this out easy you move on to the quarterfinals no problem but they're playing a team in Dinamo Zagreb from Croatia. Their head coach, who also was like the CEO basically of the team, uh, just on Monday was sentenced to nearly five years in prison. Five years in prison because he smuggled money through the team and millions of euros, millions of dollars. He basically siphoned money that was being filtered through the team to his own personal bank account, him and his brother. His brother was smart enough to go over um, to a neighboring country and is now just basically in exile. But he held on fast and he was sentenced on Monday. So he resigned. So they got a brand new coach and they go on and score three goals today to knock out Tottenham. So Tottenham loses to basically Iona in the UEFA Cup with the backup coach who was only coaching the team because their head coach got sentenced to nearly five years in Croatian prison because he was stealing money from the club. And evading taxes and all kinds of stuff. So if that doesn't sound like an NCAA tournament team, I don't know what does. Oh, that sounds my like a fifth, God. That sounds like a fifth best candidate to me. <laughs> that was brilliant, Jordan. I so. mean, that was riveting. And unfortunately, we are out of time uh, for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, Zoran Mamic is the guy's name. He's now going to prison for about five years. So, Billy, what's your worst? I'm going to assume there's a time limit on this podcast. So Kyle Kuzma airballed a technical free throw and blamed the nerf. <laughs> That's all I got. I saw that. <laughs> Wait, he blamed, he blamed who? He blamed an earthquake. <laughs> no, no way. Blamed an earthquake. And look, hey, if, if you were funny and Draymond Green came up and did this, cool. But he wasn't joking. He wasn't laughing. He just kind of sat there deadpan and blamed an earthquake and got scared. And maybe it was a joke, but dude, it didn't come out sounding like a joke. All right, what about you, Brian? What's your worst? All right, circling back to March Madness a little bit. Uh, if you guys have frequented ESPN.com at all, maybe in the last year or so, maybe even longer, you guys might notice that they've been really pushing their ESPN Plus service. Uh, if, if this rings a bell to any of you guys, you know, if you go to the homepage, usually like the content right below, maybe the, the main kind of picture, you know, image, anchoring their homepage it'll be all like kind of premium espn plus content underneath that well it's mark it's march madness time and i feel like they need to open that up to the masses and i'm going to espn.com like throughout the last week and it seems like every story is premium and i can't get it it just seems like this is like the perfect time to really show off their product and they're not doing it 
Be back. You can borrow my ESPN Plus subscription. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have one. I, I, you yeah, have one? No one has ESPN Plus. You yeah, have mine. Hey, shit. You know what? I don't think I was recording. Hey, Jordan, can you do your worst one more time? <laughs> All right. I might as well finish things with my worst. And no offense, Billy, but my worst is going to be the Billy Hull cutout, which is located right behind home plate in the second row at Les Murakami Stadium. We discovered it this past weekend while we were broadcasting UH baseball against Hawaii Hilo. It was the first time that they had actually placed cutouts at Les Murakami Stadium. And Billy, apparently it was a surprise to you that you had a cutout that was directly behind home plate on television literally the entire ball game. Yeah, that's exactly what you want to do if you're a B-writer for the newspaper for <laughs> to have a cutout out there. Uh, it was a nice little friendly uh, surprise by my wife who was weirdly interested in watching the game in the first inning. And you would have thought I would have picked up on why she's asking me so many questions about the UH Hilo Vulcans baseball team. But uh, I think, look, I was, a, I'm not gonna lie, I was a little embarrassed, but it also was the greatest day of my life because to find out that on Pal Eldridge's list of favorite tweeters, it's Kanolehi, me, Rachel Maddow. How do you feel about being in that threesome, Kanolehi? That's pretty unreal. I think he added Nick Rolovich later and has probably added like 12 more people since then. Uh, it's the list that's probably going to continue to increase. But I'm with you. Uh, and what was funny was we found your cutout in like the first two minutes that the broadcast started. We saw your cutout, we zoomed in on it, and it became a point of conversation for uh, really the rest of the series. Well, I mean, don't, that's what you need when you're broadcasting four games of UH. <laughs> Is that thing going to be there for the rest of the season? Yeah, that's a good question. I wanted to ask that. Can we move it? I don't know. All I know is it was in a better position. Like, you had a better seat, or at least your cutout had a better seat than David Lassner, the president of the University of Hawaii. He was in the third row a little wow. bit skewed off to the side. Like you were right behind home plate. He was a little bit further uh, off center and also a row back. So uh, congratulations to you. Your wife, uh, your wife really did it up. And I just want to say at the end of that, can we get the cut cardboard cutouts out of there? Let's get some fans back in the stadium. Let's get back to normal, man. I cannot wait. That was our best and worst brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii. Maui owned, Maui operated for Maui's people. Guys, this was a lot of fun, man. Uh, happy St. Patrick's Day. I, I want to do this again. Let's do this more frequently. How about that? Let's do it. Talk to my agent. 